What is it? What's the most important thing? What is, above all things, what is it? Uh, perhaps you're thinking of a, a movie, I think it was the name of City Slickers. And there's that scene where the cowboy says the key to life is one thing. And it sounds good, but what he basically says is you got to decide what that one thing is. You get to choose what that one thing is. But, but there really is one thing that matters more than anything. And the scripture is quite clear on what it is. God doesn't leave it vague and ambiguous, and he doesn't leave it to us to decide. If we want to know what the important, most important thing is, this morning I want to encourage you to listen as we talk about that. In 2022, our theme is one another, and we are talking about this in two ways. The first is the focus on one, and the second is our devotion to one another. And so, as we think about the one, what we mean by that is the one God the one that we've been worshiping this morning, hopefully with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. Hopefully we've been focusing on Him and His majesty and His glory and His power. Scripture says that He, and He alone, is the one most important thing. We're going to look in just a moment at a Scripture that talks about that, We're going to spend more time developing this fully throughout the year. But the second part of that is another. So it's one thing to to love God, and as you focus on His majesty and His glory and and what He's done. Well, in fact, turn turn to Psalm chapter 8. We we opened worship with that this morning. Psalm chapter 8, the psalmist was (laughs) quite overwhelmed by what he saw. He looked around. He said, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foe to still the enemy and the avenger. By the way, this is page 570. Psalm 8, we're in verse 3 now. Look at what David says. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? See, uh, David would go out on a cloudless, clear night, maybe like you all have done, especially if it's good in these days if you can get away from the city and you can look up and see the majesty, the power, the might of Almighty God. Now those are just in his created works. And if his created works are, are that breathtaking. Have you seen the sunsets lately? Has God just been flat out showing off? He has. But that's just his created works. Now, if a sunset can make you on your drive home go, wow. I'm going to post that to Facebook. I'm going to put that on Instagram. If a sunset, which is momentary, can do that, how much more glorious then must be the one who created that? That's what David's saying. What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? 
You've made them a little lower than the heavenly beings. There's a, there's a spiritual ranking, okay? The angels, the celestial beings are above us. You've crowned him, human beings, with glory and honor. You've given him over dominion over the work of your hands. It's our job. We, we, we get to rule over this world. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all beasts of the field, birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David looks at the, at the stars, the suns, the moons, the heavens. He looks at all creation. He looks at mankind and he says, Wow, if this all is so good, then how much more must you be God? To love a, lot, uh, to love a God like that, and especially as we go forward in the pages of Scripture and you figure out all the ways that God has poured out His love toward you. And when you, when you culminate that in the Gospels... And you see that he didn't even spare his own son. That's how much he loves you. With that kind of love, it's not hard to love God. But there's a second part to it. When we love God, we're called to love one another. And that's, that's something that will give you pause. Because that's not always as easy to do. You can see how God's poured out and blessed your life. You can see how God's blessed this created world. But the person right next to you, sometimes they can get on your nerves. And that's just, you know, sometimes that's in your closest family, okay? Some of you are looking next to each other and nudging each other. I don't know why. There is a two-part component to this, and some people only want the first part. But they don't want to be bothered with the second part. So that's why we're going to be focusing on that this year. Turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 will be our key text. As uh, as you turn there, we're, it's about page 1,088, if you don't know where Mark 12 is, page 1,088 in the Pew Bible. Mark is the shortest gospel. If you like reading something that's clear and actionable and to the point, you need to go to the gospel of Mark. Mark, some someone commentator said the emphasis in Mark is on the deeds of Jesus and not on the words of Jesus. Doesn't mean Jesus didn't say a lot, but Mark's emphasis is what Jesus did. He healed people. He fed people. He taught people. His his words and actions. Uh, there's many more focus from Mark's perspective on the deeds of Jesus and not just on the words. A commentator named Robinson said that the gospel of Mark pictures Christ in action. I like that. There's a minimum of discourse and a maximum of deed. This was written probably somewhere around 50 AD, so a decade and a half or thereabouts after Jesus has left. And at chapter 12, we are in Jerusalem. We are in the last week of Jesus' life. This is, his, this is the time when these actions that he's been doing for his whole life, and certainly the last three years, but the actions here at this moment in Jerusalem will be forever remembered. And in the midst of what Jesus has known is his whole purpose, certainly from when he started his ministry and maybe even from earlier than that, from this whole Jesus is focused now and he knows it's Golgotha. 
It's the place of the skull. It's the cross. He knows what's going to happen. And in the middle of what he came from heaven to do, the people of this world, specifically the the religious teachers of the day, all they want to do is argue with Jesus. And, and this is what we get into the middle of in, in Mark chapter 12. The Pharisees and some of the Herodians, they want, they want to trap Jesus in a tax question. Do we have to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It sounds like kind of an odd question, but it's really just a theological debate. They're drawing him into it. You ever, you ever see somebody post something on Facebook and you're like, oh man, I'm just gonna, oh, I can, uh, they're drawing you into it. Like you just, you ever type something, a, a whole pages and paragraphs with footnotes and all of that and then just delete it? And Jesus didn't take the trap. He didn't take the, he, he didn't take the bait. And then the Sadducees come to him and they want to argue too. And they want to ask about the resurrection. They came with this huge hypothetical, which is funny because in theory, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, we know. And then, verse 28, one of the scribes chimes in with a question of his own. Now, whether or not he was trying to bait Jesus or whether he sincerely wanted to know, I'll leave that to you to decide. But here's the question that he asks, and where verse 28 One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, he answered them well. And asked him. He sees Jesus' answers to these silly questions. He says, which commandment is the most important of all? Now... You need to understand that this was a, a matter of high debate. The Pharisees, the Herodians, the, 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 the Sadducees, the scribes, they were experts in the law. They knew it backwards and forwards. Now, when, when I teach a message, I typically have the Bible open, or I've got my notes. I, I know what I'm teaching, but I have to, okay, I've got to remember this reference. These guys were so high, much higher than that. They had been trained from a very young age, not just to read the Scripture. You think reading the Scripture with your family is a challenge? They were challenging their children to memorize it. They wanted them to know it verbatim, set it in their hearts. That's how seriously they took it. Now, now, now the best of those kids, the star students, became teachers. They became religious leaders. They became scribes and Pharisees. They were the best of the best. They knew the Bible. In a congregation, we talk about knowing your Bible. These people knew their Bible, the Bible that they had. Of course, they didn't have the, Old Test- the New Testament. And he asked a question that is so weighted. Which of the commandments is the most important? If you're reading your Bible in, in the daily Bible reading plan, chronological Bible, you start to get to a point in daily Bible reading, which is the killer of most daily Bible reading plans, where you just get, where it just gets laid on you. The heaviness of the law. This was God's standard of righteousness. 
most people, if you say, well, are you a good person? Are you basically a good person? They say, yeah, basically a good person. And that what they mean by that is I'm basically a good person by my standard of good. But when you ask that question from a biblical perspective, you ask a very deep question. Are you a good person? And the law of the law, the weight of the law that's laid down on you says, oh, no, you're not even close to good. And so they knew these 600 plus commands that made up the law and they they debated them. They argued them. They studied them. They devoted their lives to it. And his question is this. Of all of this, make it simple for me. Which one, which one matters the most? You see, in, in the Old Testament, there's commands concerning their walk with God, their relationships with one another, their moral code of conduct, uh, their worship, their hygiene, even the clothes that they wore, the sacrifices, the food that they ate. There was so many commands. There's a, a movement today, maybe you've heard of it, called the Hebrew Roots. And the Hebrew roots, the basic idea, as I understand, I'm not an expert on Hebrew roots, but basically it's saying, we need to go back to the roots. We need to go back to the laws and the, and the, the, the ways of the old covenant. And to that I say, run, run far, and run fast. Because there's two ways, according to this book, to achieve God's standard of righteousness. One is by keeping all 600 plus commands perfectly. You can try. I don't know anybody who's done it except one guy. And he's the second way. The only way to the Father. So of all 600 commands, the question he's asking is, are these all of equal weight? Do these all really matter? And we get this from a human perspective. You ever get pulled over for a speeding ticket? I got to confess, I got one. And boy, he got me good, too. He got me good. Well, I I have my court appearance coming up in a a couple of weeks. I'm going to see if I can plead for mercy. We'll see how merciful the judge feels. But something happens when you get caught for doing, when you get caught in a transgression. Let's call it a speeding ticket. Let's call it a parking ticket. What happens when you get caught with a minor infraction, relatively speaking? Seriously? This is the ticket. Seriously? You don't have anything better to do than giving me a ticket. Aren't there real crimes being committed? Shouldn't, shouldn't you be out there somewhere enforcing the law? Oh, not this law. That law, that law doesn't matter. <laughs> but we get, we get kind of like that. What are we doing in that moment? We're saying some commands, some laws should matter more than others. When the scribe asks Jesus which command is the most important of all, he's saying that. 
we got to keep all these commands. We got everything from how to cook a young goat to, you know, not worshiping idols. Between all of these, which there's got to be some prioritization of these commands. Which one is the greatest? Of course, maybe he knew the question, the answer to the question, and was just asking to see how Jesus would answer. Jesus gave a great answer. Look what he says. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. If you were, uh, I, I couldn't have told Jesus' audience to turn to Mark chapter 12. I would have had to tell them to instead turn to page 192 uh, in the Pew Bible or Deuteronomy chapter 6. Roll it out, get the Deuteronomy scroll out. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is what Jesus is quoting. Hear, O Israel, this is from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, page 192. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, the Jews called this the Shema. This was the centerpiece of all the law and all of the commands was to love God. I love thinking about this visually, how the Israelites, especially when they traveled and when they were a nomadic people and they were, God was dwelling in the tabernacle. If you're familiar with how God dwelt in the tabernacle, he, the tabernacle was right in the center. And around them were encamped the Israelite people. And I love that picture that every morning, a, a Hebrew man getting ready to, to start a fire for his family would come out of his tent, and the first thing he would see was the, where, the place where God dwelt. Because God was the center, literally the center well, think about it that way. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength is the center. They understood that. I mean, this was probably no surprise that Jesus gave this answer. But, but, but think about really what, the, what they're saying. They were to love God 100% with everything they have. You see, some people, when they love God, they only love God on an emotional level. They, they want here, they want, they, they want, do what I call the emoting. They just, they need, the, they need the emotional experience. They need that, they need to love God on emotion. They need to feel God. They need to, you know, and some preachers preach like this, and some people worship like this, because they need God on an emotional heart level. I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying that some people, they, they only know how to love God or they, are, they navigate to loving God on an emotional level, okay? You might be that way, okay? Some people only love God on an intellectual level. They love God with all of their mind. When I, when I do a deep dive on Sunday night, or I, I do something, or they go to a Bible class that's just extra deep, and they love the exposition of the Word. They love having their mind stimulated. They love learning new things, they're loving God with all their mind. And some people love God that way. And if that's you, that's all right. And some people love God outwardly, 
publicly. Uh, they do it with all their strength. They are what we in the north side vernacular call the underrowers. Right? They, they're just always busy and they're doing things and they're helping people and they're, they're just a lot of times behind the scenes, but they're loving God with all of their heart, their, 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 their strength, they're, they're serving with their hands. They are praying with people. They're doing that. Okay. And that's how they love God. They're, they're not great theologians of the mind. They don't get super emotional. Okay. And if you love God that way, that's okay too. But I'm not asking you how you love God and what your preferred style of loving God is. I'm calling you back to what scripture calls us to. What Jesus said is you've got to love God with it all. So if you love God on an emotional level and you get worked up and you love that, just that's just how you function. You need that emotional eye. That's great. But you probably would do well to learn to love God with your mind and to study his word and to come to Bible class and, and to think a little bit more about the truths of Scripture that aren't always super exciting, super emotional. And if you love God with all of your mind and you just love the study and you've filled out, you've already got your page filled up, you wish Sandy would leave a little more room for you to write notes, you're just making this, all of these points, you're, you, on an intellectual level, you love learning and growing. Perhaps you need to, to grow in loving God with your heart, to being a little more vulnerable, to loving people with your feelings. To showing the love of God in a tender way is what I mean. Maybe, maybe you serve God and you do a lot of things, but your heart's not in worship. Maybe you need to grow in that way. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? The command is to love God with all of you and not just where it's natural to you. And when you do that, When you ascribe toward loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what that will do is (laughs) create a person who wants to be obedient to God in all areas of life. Turn to John chapter 4. I'm sorry, excuse me, John chapter 14. Ten chapters ahead there. John chapter 14, page 1156. This is John's account of the last really moments before Jesus went to the cross. And he's praying over his disciples. He's talking to them. He's teaching them. He's imparting them the things he most wants them to know. And this is what he says. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, believe in me. You'll do works greater than I do. And then in verse 15, he says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now it's important that Jesus said it that way. Because he didn't say if you keep the, the commandments, then you'll love me. He said if you love me, you keep my commandments. I used to read John fourteen fifteen and think, man, I got to do better at keeping those commands. Because that's how I prove my love. Excuse my immaturity. Please. What Jesus said was, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You see, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, they had this backwards. They wanted to get all the commands right so that they could prove their love. 
But Jesus said to him, or Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You love him, then you'll want to obey him. You love him, then you'll want to, to worship him every first day of the week. You love him, you want to come to Bible class and study the word. You love him, you want to be a part of the church. You love him, you want to serve. It's got to start with loving him. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I've read this. He said, A thousand empty burnt offerings mean less to God than one act of love done in obedient humility to Him. Boy, that's powerful. You think about how many sacrifices that they made under the old system. A lot of blood was spilt in the temple. A lot of blood around the altar. And yet Jesus said, their hearts are far from me. You ever been there? You ever been in worship, but worship's not been in you? That's what Jesus is saying. You came here this morning, or you're watching online... You get to choose how you're going to do that. Well, I'm doing this out of obligation, or my parents are here, my grandparents are here, somebody expects me to be here, they're going to make me feel guilty if I'm not here. That's one way to come up to worship. There's another approach to worship, which is, God, I love you. I know what you've done for me, not just in the life, but in, this, in the eternal sense through Christ Jesus. I love you, and I, I, there's no other option for me but to pour myself out to you in worship, because I love you. We, we know this on a, on a human level. You know, if you have young children, you know when they're obeying you out of love because they trust you and they love you versus when they, they just know, they know they're going to get in trouble if they don't obey. They know you're going to be disappointed if they don't do well. There's a difference, you see, when a child loves his parents so much that he obeys them because he's, it's rooted in love. <clears throat> Here is the problem with that. None of us loves God perfectly. We all fall short. We, we have good intentions, but none of us does it perfectly. We all fall short in sin and selfishness. I can say that I want to. I can say that I intend to. But my actions betray my, my intentions. And the solution is then what leads us to what we truly need, and that is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the only way, the only way I'm convinced that we can truly, fully, effectively love God. You see, loving God is the goal. Loving God is the goal. I know if you ask a group of Christians, what is the goal for Christians? And most would say to get to heaven. I understand what they mean, but let me ask you a different way. If heaven is all about the majesty and the centerpiece and the glory of God, if you don't love God, why would you want to go there? Heaven will mean very little 
if you don't love God? And people, people ask questions all the time. Know your Bible. What are we going to do in heaven? What are we going to do? We're going to sit around clouds, play harps all day? You've heard that question, maybe. That comes from a person whose heart isn't fully centered on loving God. So loving God is the goal. And if you love God, when you die, and if you're in Christ Jesus, you get to dwell with God. And at last, you are reunited with your beloved. Does that make sense? The goal is not heaven. That's a, that's a side effect. The goal is loving God. Love, then, scripturally defined, is not just a feeling. It's not just an intellectual exercise. Loving God is an active, ongoing, fully obedient person. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. You say, wait a second, I thought it wasn't about keeping the commands. So I say, if, if he wrote those commands and you love him, then you want to do what pleases him. We make it our goal to please him. Only Jesus did that 100%. He said in John 14, 31, if you're still in John 14, he said, I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. He's the only one that did it perfectly. And so to fully love God begins with Christ and begins by knowing him. All right, 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 through 6, then we'll close. Verse John 5, 2 through 6, page 1306. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, everyone who loves the Father, loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, starts there, and we obey his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. What do you mean they're not burdensome? Not if you love him. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This, you see, is why we all need Jesus. The most important thing is loving God. Loving God with all you've got, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the key to doing that, the only key that I know of, is either trying to do it yourself or by doing it through Christ Jesus. And I'm not a gambling man, but I would, I would put odds on the second option was going to be a lot more effective than the first. This is why we need Christ. We must have him. So my question is, do you have Christ? Does he have you? The question is, have you obeyed him? Mark, the gospel that is short on words and very clear on action, shares what Jesus said. He said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Those are from Jesus' own lips. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. If you're not in Christ Jesus, Jesus said plain and clear how to do it. 
If you're ready to be in Christ, then in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And during that song, you can head to the back. If you're watching online, you can just say, uh, comment below, and we'll get you connected. If you're not in Christ and you'd like to put him on in baptism and begin the walk toward loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we'll be glad to walk with you and help you do that. So whether you need to respond for that reason or any other reason, uh, if you need to respond in any way, our shepherds will be at the back. Please head there as together we stand and sing this song.